Today we celebrate a feast of light, the feast of the presentation. Living in Phoenix, we get a lot of light, but if we lived further north, this first week of February is the exact midpoint between the winter solstice and the vernal equinox, a time when the mornings seem to be getting a little bit earlier and the sun starts to set just a little bit later. And while we physically notice this light, the church in all its ancient wisdom uses this light to shine on Jesus once again. Now remember when we have told the Christmas story of the shepherds in the manger? Well, that story comes from Luke's gospel. Then we often hear a story at Epiphany a couple of weeks later about wise men from the East who visit the Christ child. That portion is from Matthew. So the story we hear today is essentially Luke's version of an Epiphany story. Matthew's gospel seeks to tell a rather Jewish audience to look outside for signs of the arrival of the Messiah, while Luke's gospel tells a rather Greek or Hellenistic audience about this event inside the holiest site of all Judaism, where the light of God finally comes back into the temple in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. I say this because today's story is meant to be revelatory. We're meant to see it as a point when God acted through other people to reveal Jesus's identity to the world. And in many ways, this story keeps to Luke's ongoing theme, that the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of God arrives and is ushered in through Jesus's birth. And taking that one step further, Luke, through endless parables and teaching, tells us that Jesus's proclamation of the kingdom of God makes it look like everything in the world has turned upside down and inside out. And this story kind of does that too. How? Well, Jesus is about 40 days old at this point. His parents are as poor as poor can be. Most of people, most people in their social structure, even if they were people of deep faith, probably wouldn't have had the funds to follow their religious law and present their firstborn son to God in the temple. Most wouldn't have had the right clothes, the right currency, the right sacrifice. In the words of the writer John Oliver, Mary and Joseph are the embodiment of the majority of Jews who are too poor to offer any sacrifice, living perennially in a state of ritual defilement or sin. And yet, somehow, Mary and Joseph are here in the temple. And while the story doesn't give us much, this young and practically destitute family not only shows up in the temple, and instead of lining up like everybody else, keeping a low profile, getting the rituals done and getting out of there so that no one gives them any trouble, instead, they're recognized by a member of the religious establishment, a man named Simeon, a man who is deemed righteous. And Simeon praises God with a proclamation that continues to ring in musical settings at every occasion of evening prayer in the church around the world to this day. But this doesn't stop at this. 
because then another person approaches, this time a woman of prayer and the daughter of the tribe of Asher. This is key. Asher, the son of Jacob in the Old Testament, always sought reconciliation. Hmm, imagine that. Asher, the one who was righteous and sought for the general good. Hmm, innocent of evil intent, always in search of harmony. And this woman, Anna, she immediately begins to speak to all about this child and calls him the redemption of Jerusalem. This is an epiphany indeed. But if we just take this story as something that happens in the past, we're neglecting what this means for us. The salvation of God, as Simeon describes Jesus, which God has prepared before the face of all people, Jesus, as God's beloved, coming into the world to reveal to everyone that as the letter to the Hebrews puts it, for it is clear that God did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect. That God loved the created world, you and me, so much that God decided to align the divine's very self, not with angels, but instead with mortals, you, me, brothers and sisters in every respect. That this revelation of Simeon and Anna and this story that is unfolding today exists not really for those characters in the past, that the characters that are present in the story, but rather this unfolding revelation of Jesus, Messiah, the one to save all of God's creation, is being revealed to the world as a great joy for us, so that God, from now on, will share absolutely every aspect of birth and life and death, and turmoil, and joy, and heartache, and celebration, and grief, and death, and resurrection. That God will share absolutely every aspect of the human experience with us. And so today announces that this arrival of Jesus isn't just for some historical figures that existed 2,000 years ago, but rather this arrival of Jesus happens as the ultimate blessing for us, a light that is proclaimed today that washes over us as bright as that refiner's fire, as bright as the sunlight that bathes us from the Arizona sky. And this light anoints us and calls us to live into this good news, this arrival of Jesus, and to do what Jesus does, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to live into the spirit of a realm where captives are set free and the Lord's favor is pronounced upon everyone. Today is a day of recognition, where we recognize that we are the partakers of God's nature. God isn't separated from us. God in Jesus Emmanuel is with us right now. And as we get to know Jesus more and more and how he walks alongside of us, we come to be 
we become just a little bit more like him every day. I have to quote Desmond Tutu here. He's too good. To be partakers of the divine nature means we become more and more godlike, treating all with an even-handedness, even those we regard as evil. For you know, even the most evil, the slave traders, the Saddam Husseins, the Bin Ladens, we may not like it, but they remain God's children. This God, who lets God's sun shine on good and bad alike, who makes God's rain fall on all, for all. And we who want to be God-like are asked 70 times 7 times to forgive, to be like this God who gives up on no one, who loves us, not because we're lovable, but because we become lovable only because God loves us. And God loves us with a love that will not let us go. A love that has loved us before we were created. A love that loves us now. A love that will love us forever. A love that says of each single one of us, I love you. You are precious and special to me. I love you as if you were the only human being on earth. I love you and there is nothing you can do to make me love you more because I already love you perfectly. Today is the day we recognize how much God has loved us from the very beginning. How much God continues to reveal God's very presence to us through the life and ministry of Jesus. And how we as partakers of God's very divine nature can also be a light to the nations for the glory of God. And to take this celebratory occasion to remember that it started because God chose to reveal God's very self to the world, to become our brother in Jesus in every respect, to bless us into a new age, to bless us into a new reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God, to bless us into a state of constant love. It is a feast of light today indeed. It's a feast of love. And it's time for the love and light we have to shine as brightly as it possibly can shine. This first week of February reminds us that the days are getting brighter. And with new revelations of God's love literally bathing us in this light, we are indeed walking into a much brighter future together alongside Jesus forever.